This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. If Obama was the Facebook president and Trump was the Twitter president, you look at the rise of social media, social media trends, and Google trends, believe that the next president is going to be the Reels president. Hey, it's Johanna Masca, and on this episode of Press Advance, we're getting to know a millennial candidate running for president of the United States. Vivek Ramaswamy is a 37-year-old candidate, the second candidate to announce his candidacy against the frontrunner, Donald Trump, for the Republicans' nomination. An Ohio businessman, he has bet on an unusual multimedia strategy engaging with any of the members of the media willing to talk. We don't need less dialogue. If you can't talk to NBC or MSNBC or whatever, you probably shouldn't be representing us in front of Xi Jinping. Are, are you confident that you know that gender that it isn't a spectrum? I uh, am. You know I'm, this as a scientist? Well, there's there's two X chromosomes. If you're a woman, an X and a Y, that means you're a man. Gender dysphoria for most of our history, all the way through the DSM-5, has been characterized as a mental health disorder. And I don't think it's compassionate to affirm that. I think that's cruelty. As he travels the country, bringing an outsider perspective to the Republican ticket, his campaign has been documenting all of it turning it into social media content and reels to engage with voters directly. As a millennial, Ramaswamy grew up at a time of rapid technological advances, the dawn of the internet. The generation was the first with a home computer and mobile phones. It's a generation that fueled a lot of our Obama energy and a generation that I belong to. Though my son is quick to remind me that I am older than Vivek. But this tech-savvy generation... My tech-savvy generation is now taking on government in new ways, and Vivek is no different. He's embracing social media platforms to connect with voters, sharing his outsider perspective. Here are some examples. I just want to say I'm so glad I came today. Thank you. You gave me hope, not just for the Republicans, but for our country. I'm so glad I came. Thank you. It's really the country that matters most. It's not the... Republican no, Party. Right, it it's the name pro-American. I was worried. What? Who is going to be there for us? We're going to do this. Election. So we're well over the margin for meeting the debate stage criteria. I want to thank you guys for helping me get there. Now we got to actually put our foot on the gas and actually get through not just on the debate stage, but get ourselves to the center of that debate stage and to the center of this presidential primary. I think we can do it. To get to know Vivek better, I talked to his political right hand the CEO of Vivek 2024, Ben Yoho. Vivek's son of immigrants. He was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, grew up there, graduated from St. X, a high school with honors. He was a nationally ranked tennis player. It's a fun fact. And if you follow him on the campaign trail, everywhere he goes, he makes a stop to play with some of the best high school or collegiate athletes. You know, it's kind of a, a requirement of our campaign scheduling, just a, an opportunity for one hit to get some exercise, but to also get to spend some time with the youth and non-political, but, you know, give them a, you know advice on life, business and answer any questions that they may have about his policy if it comes up. But it's, it's more of a just a bonding opportunity for young people as he travels the country. But he went from St. X to, to Harvard and 
got a degree in biology and started working at a hedge fund, went back to law school, continued to work for that hedge fund. As he uh, graduated, he founded uh, and started a biotech company called Royvent. That company founded five FDA-approved medicines that went on to save a lot of lives. But as that as that company grew, and what I believe you know Vivek is is known for, uh, which we can talk a little bit about, is his book Woke Inc. But what really inspired that was his journey as a CEO of, of uh, Royvent, very large biotech company. And during the George you know Floyd situation, had a lot of pressure to you know, come out and support the Black Lives Matter. And anyone that meets Vivek and or, or, or knows Vivek knows he does his research. Um, you, you don't force him to do anything. And in researching BLM, just was not comfortable with some of the things they stood for. Number one, being the um, dismantling of the nuclear family. And so he refused to, you know, sign on with other CEOs around, around the country and came to realize that, you know, if he was not going to be able to speak his mind, you know, freely that it, it was, it was, you know, time to leave. And so he left Royvent, wrote Woke Inc. Um, and then also started a um, asset management fund called Strive to take on ESG. And I believe, you know, in that journey, the runway in which you need to, to change the world through, you know, businesses you build, it takes a lot. And I'm not, quite sure you can actually get there. And so, you know, he stepped aside from Strive and announced his candidacy for president of the United States. So you're going with him to Iowa and to New Hampshire and to South Carolina and to Nevada? Yeah, quite quite a bit. I mean, it, it's slowed down for me. It's it's very difficult to um, manage from the road, but the initial launch of the campaign, yeah, we were attached at the hip in the last couple of weeks of transition to being more in our headquarters in, in Columbus, Ohio, but I haven't calculated it this week, but as of last week, we were already over a hundred and I think it was 135 grassroots events just in Iowa and New Hampshire. Oh, wow. So tell me with those events, you know, he, I've, been there early in Iowa. It's I remember now when people are like, "Oh my god, Mrs. Obama." I'm like, "We struggled to get 10 people in a room sometimes to come hear Mrs. Obama or even, you know, President Obama who was then a senator. Are you pulling people out are these all unilateral events you're doing?" It's a mix. I would say it's like 60% built by us and 40% pre-built events by whether it's a county party a faith group, you know, community group, as you know, those, those are the, the easy ones to drop in as much as you can, um, uh, in regards to your, your ROI. Um, I would say the first week I was actually very surprised. We launched on Tucker and immediately went to New Hampshire and then to Iowa. Back when Tucker had a Fox show. Exactly. <laughs> it's dating exactly. the campaign. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we started this little, coffee and cake shop. I thought, well, maybe half a dozen, dozen people show up by the end of it. I mean, there's 30 some people there. And I thought well, that might, that's just a little strange. And I was a little nervous that that would set the, you know, a false expectation <laughs> when no one knew who you were a cup of coffee ago. Right. But each event as the, the day went on, got larger and larger and larger. And same thing happened in Iowa. What are people asking him? When they, because these are intimate events, they can ask him anything. What are they asking him? 
it's interesting. They are very receptive to the message. It's then how do you do that? How do you unite a country? How do you unite a country by, as Vivek talks about, he's going to take America first principles, first principles further than the former president did. And so the, the question naturally becomes whether they were a former Trump supporter or a current Trump supporter, or undecided or, or an anti-Trump supporter. Vivek, how do you actually do that? And Vivek is very detailed. You know, he is the last person to leave the room. He talks to everybody. He answers every single question. We have open sourced our campaign of his policy briefings. And as we as we roll out policy objectives, we do that in video form in which he outlines specifically how he will do these things. Um, we also use op-ed form and, and social media. But in the live events, it's, it's, the folks are getting the same thing. And an opportunity to try to poke, you know, poke holes. And, and, and the, although I haven't seen too much of that, but a presidential candidate who's very observant and willing to also learn. So if that, you know, a subject or topic comes up rather than, you know, one of my frustrations in the industry is the, the politician who makes you believe he knows, has an answer for everything. Vivek's not that. He's a, a great listener. God gave him two ears and one mouth. You listen twice as much as you as you speak. Well, it also requires there to be a certain level of coverage of those conversations. And all too often, um, those aren't necessarily the media moments that you see. You see the Don Lemon, you see Chuck Todd, you see, which is interesting that, uh, you know, Don Lemon has since uh, left his post and uh, Chuck Todd has now handed over the reins to <laughs> Kristen Welker, who was, who was always a wonderful journalist um, in my experience. But uh, in terms of that moral clarity, give me a little bit more drill down on that, because even just going back to the comment on Black Lives Matter, um, tell me what you mean by trying to dismantle the family structure. So actually on that, he he, he tells a story about when he went to uh, the website that week in which he was being pressured. It was one of the key objectives was talking, talking about the um, issues with the, the nuclear family and something Vivek believes in very strongly is a two-parent household, a focus on education and faith. And it's in every speech and conversation that he has. It's just that point, like, um, and that that's what he read. And it's something that he just fundamentally disagrees with. So that was kind of a hard stop, you know, for him to tie himself to an organization like that. You know, you look at when he talks about ending race-based affirmative action, you know, he talks about the history of how in, in very pointed, specific examples of how it stops the best person from getting that job or getting into a school or you know, a certain promotion, but also the education that it teaches minorities in which they can't achieve something on their own. We've obviously had things in our past as a nation that were troubling and that we've changed and that we learned from. But to unshackle ourselves from that past and go back to having that spirit of running towards something rather than running away from something and, and allowing everybody to achieve that opportunity, putting merit back at the, you know, into our core principles um, really frees a lot of 
you know, people to work hard, um, focus on their education, take their job seriously, um, love on their family and their neighbors and, and their colleagues. Well, and when you talk about that, you know, obviously we talked earlier about being from the Midwest. I'm also married with a child and absolutely adore my child. And so that idea of the nuclear family, I can understand. It's one, you know, that's very Midwestern. You, you know, are loyal. President Trump had uh, three different spouses. He has children from different spouses. He has some allegations from outside of those marriages. Does Vivek take any of that on? Because I've always kind of wondered how, you know, a candidate like Donald Trump is the person who would sing the, you know, praises of the nuclear family. Yeah, it, it, it you know, it, this comes up quite a bit. And, you know, it. you look at the the principles of that administration. There's a lot of good in regards to to policies, but Vivek says quite often he has two young sons, Arthur and Arjun. Very cute, very cute. When they travel with us, it really lifts the spirits, not just the entire campaign, but folks at the events. He and his wife Apoorva, they've. Um, I don't know how they do it. I'm trying to figure out that life hack of how you run for president, and she's a, you know, equally. Uh, successful um, and an amazing, impressive lady. She's a third surgeon at uh, Ohio State University, but they're inseparable. And, and the kids are in the, the family. Everybody's part of it. And, and it, it's a very nice culture to have in this campaign. But to answer your question, that comes up and, and Vivek speaks about it often, which is he wants to look at his two sons. He'll be able to look them in the eyes and say, I want you to be like that man or woman that's in the White House. And he fundamentally doesn't believe that we've had that since Ronald Reagan. And he does believe he can be that. I always enjoyed working with President Obama because he was a moral character. And, um, you know, everyone can have their own perspectives. But I thought John McCain also, you know, like to the extent I know you worked with him, he was always kind to us. And it was politics was a, a lot different when you can be kind and recognize that the other person is not the spawn of Satan. Um, so on the Donald Trump front, I was surprised to see uh, Vivek pop up in Florida outside of the arraignment of President Trump calling for all candidates to say that they would issue a pardon. America is not a country where the party in power is able to use police force to arrest its political opponents. That is the stuff of banana republics. We don't do that in this country. What is the strategy there when he's obviously running against Donald Trump? Vivek, and I talk about this quite a bit, he'd rather do what's right and speak hard truths, even if he knows it could cost him the political points. We we don't run this campaign with event happens, let's test a poll, do a poll test, and in four days we'll make a decision of what Vivek Ramaswamy believes. It's very instinctual. It goes back to core principles uh, and and in the obvious. This is one that he's very passionate about. Um, as much as it 
makes it easier for other political candidates if President Trump's not in this race. He doesn't want it to be done the wrong way. And and he has quite a few questions and objections to what was filed and has seeked a FOIA request to get answers. But looking at what President Trump's facing and what, you know, President Biden may be facing in the future is it, you, you can't unite a country if both sides of the aisle, the conversation's constantly about putting the leaders away and taking them out of that conversation. We'd like to defeat him the fair way. Well, it is an interesting scenario because mostly the outsider candidates wouldn't have necessarily handled classified information or had that kind of clearance. Is Vivek ever asked about foreign policy? Because that's another thing. I always wonder on the campaign trail, what are, you know, are they are they asking about foreign policy? And then how would he handle that area? Obviously, you know, he is not necessarily a national security expert. He's done a lot in business and including, you know, got himself really in the position of fueling an industry to help people. But what about national security? Yeah, no, it, it comes up. Typically, he's the one driving it. You know, if you look at uh, the war in Ukraine, for instance, there's been a lot of flip-flopping among the field and kind of avoiding the uh, conversation as much as possible. You know, Vivek put out a policy on how he would end the war in Ukraine. There's a lot of conversation about you know, ending the war on day one or, but no substance in terms of like how you would do that. If people go to Vivek2024.com, they can read Vivek's words on how he would do that specifically at, at the same time, dismantling the tie with China and Russia. As we unite the country, we have to bring kind of order. <laughs> it, it, and there's some very real basic conversations that can have happen to to, to, to get that in line. He speaks about, you know, China is the one that comes up the most. I think that's, you know, top of mind at the Republican base. I do think it crosses over into the Democrat base as well. But specifically in our party, it, I would say it's a number one, number two issue from what we're, we're seeing in, in data. And it, it matches what we're talking about feeling on, on the ground. And Vivek's very, very specific on, on how he would handle China. So, you know, he talks about how he would decouple from China. Does that actually ever happen? Probably not. China is is one of the things that the media, we, we seem to not hear much about, but China's in a very tough position right now. They've really put themselves in a, in, in a financial hole. We as a country, there's things we can do to take advantage of that and, and, and get something in return, whether that's you know, our cybersecurity, you know, um, keeping, you know, you know, them from evading Taiwan. And that that can be done as, as a chief executive. It is. The Chinese Communist Party is certainly vulnerable. And it is part of our rhetoric. And I think we have to have a whole other conversation. And I know your time is tight. But uh, part of, you know, my frustration is sometimes we play into China's anti-U.S. narrative if we don't attack the Chinese Communist Party, which at, at truth, the Chinese Communist Party is a lot that has, you know, left Chinese people vulnerable. They're the ones who want power and they're the ones who are, you know, playing with Russia and playing against uh, America in the long term. And again, you know, China has fueled this anti-American sentiment. Like two years ago, their number one movie was a movie in which they 
they defeated the U.S. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays on the debate stage. Do you think he's going to make the debate stage? Vivek will be on the debate stage. I'm confident he'll be on the debate stage uh, through the fall. And, um, you know, when you look at our candidacy, you know, it, you, you started this, this podcast with it is a lot of the country doesn't know who Vivek is. So if you really if you take a step back and look at where he's at compared to where Donald Trump was at when he came down the escalator what was it, a week ago, <laughs> 2015, we're pulling ahead. We've raised you know, we will have raised more money than he did in, two, in 2015 uh, by the time we close out you know, this year heading into the early states. And our, our image is we have the best net uh, favorable image of the entire field. There's still 40% of the country that still needs to get the Nova bake. And we're confident that that's going to happen on the debate stage. It'll be really interesting. And of course, you're a field organizer at heart, which means that you know what goes into this. What are your operations? Do you have significant operations in each state already? Or what's that look like? We focused the first quarter on building the communications hub. And so if you go back to when you worked on Barack Obama's campaign, that was like the rise of Facebook and date the, the, the entry point of you know data being truly utilized as a political practice. I have to tell young people that the iPhone didn't exist when we started running. <laughs> they don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Obama absolutely owned Facebook. I mean, whether you take the data targeting and the ad piece out of it, but you know, one of the things that we emulate is go back to the old pop-up house parties that were organized on Facebook. And then you'd be driving down streets and people would have little homemade signs outside saying, yes, this is the Facebook house party. And then the president would call into a conference line and talk to everybody. We are being built by a bottom-up grassroots network. And so we want to use the tools of today to really give it a, a boost. If Obama was the Facebook president and Trump was the Twitter president, you look at the rise of social media, social media trends and Google trends. I believe that the next president is going to be the reels president, short and long form videos. So if you go look at our social profiles and you look at the engagement rates, we're averaging 35,000 more engagements on a daily basis than the next closest competitor in the Republican field. We put our campaign headquarters in an old advertising agency. We have a TV studio, um, a podcast studio, we have full-time videographers that we document everything with the ethos of like pulling the curtain back on the campaign, but also being able to feed the machine that we built. So that was the early focus and that's paying great dividends. And then we moved to building a premier state team in New Hampshire, Iowa, and uh, South Carolina. We're getting ready to turn Nevada on and, you know, South Carolina is our momentum state. So, you know, we uh, don't hold any secrets. We plan on winning New Hampshire, placing in Iowa. I think we may have a surprise cooking for everybody in Nevada. And if we do that, then South Carolina and Super Tuesday states are all on the table. Well, and that is when it starts uh, really rocking and rolling. That's going to be the the real question. You guys don't know yet total delegate distribution until October, right? So you don't know how the states are going to necessarily shuffle out for your math equation, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we're, we're building a lot of it off of the past, but, you know, I look at it's like some fine tuning come at that point, but 
Um, we don't want to be caught flat-footed. So we started two months ago on ballot access, you know, planning um, as as well as delegate strategy, uh, so that when when that happens, it's turnkey for us versus where, where do we go next. Kelly Meyer, who works at News Nation, came on the podcast, uh, and she was telling me that she is not seeing a ton of young people at these events, especially in Iowa, which, you know, I know there's some young people, but are you guys seeing, are you drawing young people, and and how are you feeling that energy? Yeah, we are. You have to tell her to reach out to me, and we'll take her along with some of our events. Yeah, you know, I think one is the way we're communicating with people. When I talk about that reels president, that's ex- you're like you're right over the target on that. The amount of unsolicited commentary I get from folks about how Vivek is everywhere, and we're not we haven't spent a dime on advertising compared to the rest of the field. It it, it is, and it's generally in, in these communication tools that that you know Gen Z and, and millennials are, are utilizing more so than others. But that gives us a whole area of uh, of land to farm from in regards to you know voter registration and, and turnout. But it's also seen in our events. You know, I, I think that you know one there's the appeal of you know Vivek being the first millennial GOP candidate to ever run for president. But the things he's talking about as well are resonating um, with with the youth. Well, he certainly has more more familiarity with some of these technologies that uh, than some of our candidates who have been around a while. Uh, yeah. But it's also about purpose, you know. And it, it's if you go to Vivek's core message, I think a lot of Gen Z and even in a lot of some in the millennials, like Vivek, always point like talks about. If you ask someone what it means to be an American, his age or younger, oftentimes it's like a blank stare across their face. That resonates with the youth vote. They do want purpose. They they do want to have, they want a calling. They want to have something to believe in. And if our leaders don't give them that vision, someone else will. Big corporations, celebrities, you know, these quasi secular religions tend to pop up and then they divide our nation and make it even more tribal. So I think that's what it is at the core. Um, but it's also not lost on me that, you know, Vivek's kind of cool. <laughs> he looks and feels more like them. So, well, it is a question in terms of, uh, what it is to be American. I just get so frustrated so often at so many who tear down America. We are still the most powerful economy. We are still the most powerful military force in the world. The things that we do lead the world. And I think so many of our young people wouldn't necessarily know that. I hope Vivek speaks to that. And I would love to, at some point, have him on the podcast. We have this fantastic audience that's growing, Ben, that I'm excited about because I want people to be open-minded and to look at, you know, all the issues. And we are seeing that resonate, which is fantastic. Yeah, I, you're doing a great job. And I, I think the challenge is if, if we can focus on the things that bind us, whether that be, you know, faith, patriotism, hard work, family, then we can celebrate diversity. But when we lead with the diversity, to your point, we, we lose what actually binds us together 
as one nation and, and that, and that, that pride for, like you said, the greatest nation on earth in world history, it fades away. So uh, I appreciate you saying that I, I am a fan and I'll be cheering you on. Wrapping this interview, I would be remiss if I didn't bring in some of the substance Ben pointed to. Vivek has been critical of the Black Lives Matter movement, accusing the organization of working to dismantle the nuclear family. And the website did originally say, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. The website has since been updated and no longer contains that information. And I do believe that some of it has been taken out of context. I know as a mother, I am very grateful for my community, and I do believe that we thrive in community. Ben also pointed to a position on ending the war in Ukraine, which Vivek did unveil in a speech. We will freeze the current lines of control. That means he gets the Donbass region. It means he gets the Crimea. And we will make a permanent commitment to tell Ukraine that you will not be admitted to NATO, not now, not ever. Those are big concessions to Russia. But we have a big ask in return that you will exit your treaty with China. I have to say, I wonder how the U.S. would agree to give up someone else's sovereign territory and why Russia would see it in their interest to turn away from China and back to the U.S. And certainly as someone involved in the Chicago NATO summit where we tried to engage Putin, I have a lot of questions. Those questions will have to wait until we follow up directly with Vivek, and I look forward to it. One thing is for sure, having him on the debate stage will change the debate, and we will continue to respect, empower, include on this podcast, Press Advance. To that end, always send us your thoughts at Johanna Masca, rate, review, and follow the podcast for the latest episodes we're dropping. 